House Democrats are trying again to expand paid leave for federal employees. They scored paid parental leave for the federal workforce back in 2019, but that didn't include all of the benefits they wanted. Now House Oversight and Reform Committee Chairman Carolyn Maloney is trying again to pass her full vision into law. Republicans say the proposal is wasteful, expensive, and out of touch. The debate was not pretty, and it shows just how far the two sides are apart on federal employee issues. We get the latest from Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. The House Oversight and Reform Committee advanced new legislation designed to expand paid leave for federal employees. Getting there, though, got a little ugly at times. The bill is called the Comprehensive Paid Leave for Federal Employees Act, and it allows employees up to 12 weeks of paid time off to recover from a personal medical condition or care for a sick spouse, child, or parent. Most federal employees can already accrue sick leave and annual leave, but this bill essentially replaces the 12 weeks of unpaid leave federal employees have now under the Family and Medical Leave Act, but with paid time off. And it expands a 2019 law that granted paid parental leave to most federal employees, but to the entire workforce. Postal service workers were left out of that original law. The Oversight Committee debated this bill at a hearing last month, and it got contentious at times. Democrats and Republicans couldn't be farther away from each other on where they stand with this legislation. Committee Ranking Member James Comer. Rather than ensuring federal agencies are meeting their missions, especially in the wake of COVID-related shutdowns, we are considering expanding another benefit for the already well-paid and well-protected federal workforce. The possibility of an additional 12 weeks of paid leave renewable every year at the taxpayer's expense. Yes, you heard that correctly. Congress just provided paid parental leave for federal workers in 2019's Federal Employee Paid Leave Act. And now, less than two years later, before we know the full impacts of that expansion of leave on the federal government, the majority is seeking to expand paid leave even further by covering all categories mentioned in the Family Medical Leave Act. Democrats, though, dispute that characterization. They see the paid leave bill as a way for the nation's largest employer to set an example. Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney. Some opponents of this bill have said that federal employees already have paid annual and sick leave benefits, and that is true. But these benefits serve a fundamentally different purpose than comprehensive paid family and medical leave. Federal employees should not have to deplete their sick or annual leave because Congress has unwillingness uh, to provide paid leave to deal with a longer-term hardships. After more than a year of a global pandemic, why would we accept policies that actually create an incentive for workers to come to work sick because they can't afford to take a sick day? Federal employees must work for their agencies for at least 12 months before taking leave. The bill would also cover paid time off for employees who experience a stillbirth or act as a surrogate for another family. Maloney says her bill would cost $53 million over 10 years, and she cited a preliminary score from the Congressional Budget Office. Republicans, though, didn't see the CBO score until Maloney mentioned it, and they don't believe it. Georgia Republican Jody Heiss with Maloney. There's no way providing federal employees four months a year not working only costs $53 million over 10 years. We will review the numbers. CBO doesn't usually conduct a full budgetary analysis of pending legislation, that is, until it advances to the House floor. 
Its initial budget assumptions for the paid leave bill didn't include the Postal Service. CBO says the bill would increase off-budget direct spending for the Postal Service by a significant amount over a five-year period, and USPS would have to reduce its expenses to accommodate them. This raises red flags for Republicans. Ranking Member Comer. I would like to make a motion due to the fact that, uh, number one, we find it hard to believe this CBO score, and we have questions for the Congressional Budget Office. Next, due to the fact that it doesn't include the cost and the effects on the Postal Service, as Mr. Norman, Mr. Biggs, and Mr. Heiss have all mentioned, and we need to know what not only cost does that have to the Postal Service, but what are the effects on the mail? Committee members tried multiple times to adjourn the markup before voting on the paid leave bill, but the debate continued. Virginia Democrat Jerry Connolly. Frankly, for the last decade, my Republican friends on the other side of the aisle, especially when they're in the majority, never missed an opportunity to demonize the federal employee. They're not public servants. They're bureaucrats. They don't have a benefit package like other employees around America. They have perks. The language is deliberate to demonize federal employees, to somehow make them fat bureaucrats who don't really do a job. And Georgia Republican Jody Heiss. My point is the American people are footing the bill, and we are extending it to the extreme now that federal workers can have up to four months a year of not working, 100% of that resting on the shoulders of the American taxpayer. That is unfair, unjust, uncalled for, and an absolute waste of money. The committee ultimately advanced the bill, but along party lines, it now heads to the full House for a vote, or it could end up in a larger legislative package later in the year. The Oversight Committee also considered another bill that's designed to update 23-year-old federal vacancy laws. This one comes from California Democrat Katie Porter. Under current law, acting officials can temporarily serve in Senate-confirmed positions for up to 210 days. Porter's bill would reduce that time to 120 days and give an administration additional time if the Senate is considering a nomination. Democrats say the bill would close loopholes in existing federal vacancies law. Gaps, they say, past administrations have exploited. Former President Donald Trump named 30 acting cabinet officials throughout the course of his presidency. That's more than any other president in at least the last 40 years. Republicans say the legislation, though, would limit the president's powers to choose his own acting officials. Restrictions, they say, are both partisan and unconstitutional. Arizona Republican Andy Biggs. The Trump administration has been uh, bandied about as the rationale for this bill. What happens in reality is this is a partisan response to partisan problems in in getting appointees nominated and accepted by the entire body in the Senate. But it's also more, it's an intrusion, quite frankly, into the processes of the executive branch who wants to appoint their people. That's really what this is about here, is, is inserting and injecting legislative control over that. And here's Porter. Any president, regardless of party's duty, is not just to stick a fresh face willing to carry out the president's policy into these important government positions. It is to appoint and not is to nominate a qualified person 
And the Constitution equally puts a duty on the Senate with regard to these executive roles to consider these positions and to vote. The argument that this is an intrusion into executive processes, I think, misunderstands the important residual constitutional duty on Congress to conduct oversight of the executive. The bill eventually cleared the committee and heads to the full House for a vote. Nicole Ligrisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. 
And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. 
they're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.